Please listen carefully. Hello, and welcome to the Optimist Daily's Weekly Roundup. I'm Carissa. And I'm Ariel, and we're working hard to put solutions in view and optimism in movement. All right, so we are back again with another episode. How has your past week been, Carissa? It's been good. We've been getting a little bit of sunshine this past week. I know I've talked about the past couple of weeks, there's been a lot of rain and just like clouds, mm-hmm. but normal for January, February, it's still winter. But I can see spring kind of springing through the cracks over here. So Yeah, I mean, I guess it is the first day of March. Yeah, that's true. March <laughs> is the epitome of spring in my opinion. So it starts looking up from the winter blues a little bit. I know I've been talking about that a lot. Maybe not the mm-hmm. most optimistic thing I could talk about, the winter blues, but it's true. Um, you know, I think a lot of people go through the same thing at this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely had to escape last Last weekend yeah to Spain. how was that so that was really nice I had a really good time with my sister and just hanging out with her catching some rays it wasn't very hot yeah uh, but it was sunnier than it is in Amsterdam so I was just happy to get that sun exposure <laughs> totally some vitamin D <laughs> I'm also just excited to have kind of a chill weekend at home though because you know like even when you go on a relaxing trip and don't do anything you know too hectic uh, the traveling part is still kind of draining so just excited to chill at home totally you know hang out with my dog I'm sure Tink missed you and the Mm -hmm. days you were gone but (laughs) (laughs) yeah any kind of travel kind of like messes with your routine so it's always good to have that reset and get back mm-hmm. yeah so I hope this weekend will be relaxing for you but I'm glad to hear that you got some sunshine last week and got to get out of Amsterdam for the weekend so I know I just got back but like speaking of getting out again and traveling <laughs> <laughs> um, I picked a story this week that has to do with a country that I'm really hoping to visit there are some like tentative plans Ooh. but nothing set in stone yet but yeah I was hoping to go to Ghana at the end of May, beginning of June. Um, So soon. I know. It does feel soon because as we said, like it's already the beginning of March and yeah, it's just a few few months away. So I don't know, still haven't gotten (laughs) the travel plan set, but this this article did catch my eye because um, it is about... Ghanaian treasures. Yeah, something that I'm sure you're hoping to see when you get to Ghana. So yeah, what is your solution mm-hmm. that you picked out? It's a, it's a deep dive into a story that's part history and then part justice. And of course, it's all about the repatriation of some Ghanaian artifacts. So uh, we're talking about seven royal artifacts that are making a long-awaited comeback to the Asante kingdom in Ghana after 150 years of being away. And um, before I get carried away, the title of the article is Restitution of Asante Kingdom Treasures, U.S. Museum Returns Stolen Artifacts After 150 Years. And these aren't your, you know, like average artifacts. We've got elephant tail whisks, which I actually had to look up because um, when I think of a whisk, I think of 
like a baking, like a cooking utensil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they look more like these little whips made out of elephant tail uh-huh. and ornamental chairs and gold stool ornaments, a necklace, a couple of bracelets. And these are all part of the Asante Kingdom's royal cultural heritage. Nice. It's not surprising to learn that these amazing artifacts were swiped by British colonial forces back in the 19th century. And since then, they've been hanging out for a while at the Fowler Museum at UCLA. And yeah, that's obviously extremely far from their original Ghanaian home. I think I did learn about a few of these artifacts because I went to UC Santa Barbara, but I took a cross-campus course with UCLA about African history over the pandemic, so I didn't get to like visit anything. But my professor of the course was from UCLA, obviously it was mm-hmm. UCLA class, but we talked a lot about the artifacts that were in the Fowler Museum. So I'm curious if I would recognize any of these. Yeah, I guess you'll have to check out the article. <laughs> yeah, I will. But yeah, these these treasures, the return of these treasures anyway, it's not just a physical journey. It's a symbolic nod to history. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the negotiators who's named Kwasi Ampene, I'm sorry if I've uh, mispronounced it, but Kwasi Ampene, summed it up by saying that the return signifies also the return of our souls, um, which is pretty deep. Definitely very deep, but very beautiful statement too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the Asante kingdom marked this return on the 150th anniversary of the raid by British forces in 1874. And it kind of, you know, turns a painful past into a moment of triumph. Another point of interest is that three of the artifacts were actually part of an indemnity payment made by the Asante kingdom to the British. So now it's just been like twisted on its head. Mm -hmm. And here's what makes this repatriation all the more significant. All seven items are going back unconditionally and permanently. But the Asante Kingdom did give the green light for replicas to be made of these of these artifacts. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Then we can still learn about it, but obviously the artifacts belong in their homes. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it is nice that you do have like an imitation of it. So the visual could still make an impact even if it's not in the home countries. Yeah. But what caught my attention is what Sylvia Forney the director of the Fowler Museum said about museums evolving into custodians with ethical responsibility, which in my opinion, it's about time. Totally. I think recently museums have really been stepping up and acknowledging their role in writing historical wrongs. I think even just on Laptus Daily, we've covered a lot of stories in the past couple of years about uh, different museums around the world returning, you know, looted artifacts, uh, going back to mm-hmm. their home countries. And that's always a very heartwarming thing to see. Yeah, totally uplifting. And the Asante Kingdom's victory in this moment is also kind of like a ray of hope for other nations looking to reclaim their stolen heritage. Um, So overall, it's a win for African nations reclaiming their cultural legacy and other nations as well who've been subject to colonial powers. But there's still a lot to be done. Activists remind us that there are multitudes of items out there still waiting to come home. And in fact, we at the Optimist Daily wrote a story in the past titled UNESCO and Interpol launch a revolutionary virtual museum of stolen cultural artifacts. And if you check out that article, it shares details about what will be the world's first virtual museum dedicated to the issue of stolen cultural objects and the need to safeguard cultural heritage. 
It's not open yet. It's supposed to launch in 2025 and it intends to raise, oh, I guess 2025 is already next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sounds so far away, but it's coming up. So. I know. So yeah, just uh, hold your breath for that. But mm-hmm. the intention of this initiative is to raise public awareness about the criminal trafficking of cultural artifacts, as well as the need to preserve our common heritage as human beings. And in that particular article, there's a quote from UNESCO Director General Audrey Azule, who says, behind every stolen work or fragment lies a piece of history, identity, and humanity that has been wrenched from its custodians, rendered inaccessible to research, and now risks falling into oblivion. Mm -hmm. The virtual museum will display over 52,000 stolen artifacts, and that's a lot of pieces that have been forcibly removed from their cultural context. And I'm sure it'll just continue to grow as Mm -hmm. it gets launched. So I think that will be really interesting, though, and we'll definitely have to keep tabs on that and report back once it's live. But Yeah, I can't wait, actually. It'll be really interesting to see... um, at least the visual, the images of of what's been stolen. Yeah. But back to the seven artifacts at hand in this article, you might be wondering why now? Why did it take 150 years for this to happen? But as you were saying before, Carissa, this return is part of a global movement to set the historical record straight. And you're right, we have written so many stories in the past about museums and governments making similar moves. There were like actually a lot of stories published in 2021, like uh, Um, Mm -hmm. U.S. to return Gilgamesh tablet and 17,000 other looted artifacts to Iraq. Yeah. The Brooklyn Museum returned 1,305 looted artifacts back to Costa Rica. The list goes on if people are interested to look up in our archive, which is 100% free, by the way, uh, if you visit our website. (laughs) (laughs) I think we both live in places, Carissa, where there's a lot of access to museums and galleries. And I'm aware that there's a a sense of privilege living in a city where there are a lot of cultural centers because it opens up a window into the world. But it does make me uncomfortable to be, you know, like walking through all of these places and to know that most of what they display has been stolen. Totally. And it's even more uncomfortable when, you know, like those little placards that describe whatever is being displayed. um, It's a bit weird if they don't share this information very truthfully. Yeah, no, that's so true. I also get super uncomfortable when I think about it because I feel like a lot of art, um, like in art museums and just like historical museums, the artifacts that were looted for sure, a lot of it has to do with like burial items as well. There's like full on coffins that are just like in the museum and then you look at it and it's like neat, but then it's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this was just like stolen from Mm -hmm. someone's burial site. So, Which, of course, graves are pretty sacred. There's a lot of tradition and ritual and spirituality that goes into that so to think about you know having those things forcibly taken and then to not even have that displayed Mm -hmm. uh, alongside the artifact is a bit it just feels a a little shady you know definitely yeah (laughs) and this article got me thinking about whether museums and galleries should be obligated to say exactly how the artifacts in their exhibits were procured And to me, it seems only right that these kinds of institutions are, you know, forced to confront their country's colonial history. Um, And then even better to take the next step and return them, because that means kind of Mm -hmm. righting those wrongs. 
to me, this is just something that we teach babies, right? Like whatever was taken without permission should be given back to their rightful owners. Absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, what we teach people when they're just growing up in like kindergarten and school. Um, and then I started thinking about the fact that many people from the culture of origin will not be able to like travel or spend time and money to get into the museums, pay the entrance fees, et cetera, yeah. and see the historical artifacts that belong to their own heritage. So yeah, how amazing would it be to see the artifacts in their true context and also to give back to the economy it actually belongs to? Yeah, that's a great point. This article was really great. Um, I was so happy to read it, but then it just got all of these questions going in my head. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I know that there are arguments that state that this kind of like attitude towards um, all of these historical artifacts would empty museums and galleries and other cultural institutions in the Western world. But, you know, in this story, Ghana gave permission for their artifacts to be copied. So there could be a future where artifacts go back to their places of origin, which gives a sense of justice, but their likeness can still be used in other countries to educate and inform the public on our shared history as humans. Yeah, totally. And these days, it has to be like easier than ever to create replicas of so many mm-hmm. different There's like 3D of- printing. Yeah, There's like exactly. So much going on in the tech world that can allow us to make pretty good imitations. <laughs> so there's a lot of possibility in you know, the ball is rolling on returning all these artifacts to where they belong. And you made some great points about like how the people of the countries they're from don't even get to see them. And then, you know, tourism could kind of boost a little bit more if these really iconic artifacts went back to where they're from. Mm-hmm. This is really awesome, Ariel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thanks for listening to all my thoughts. You know, these are just a few of them that bubbled up to the surface when I read the article, but they will certainly come up again whenever I find myself in a museum or gallery or anything yeah, like that. <laughs> I guess, yeah, this story gave me a lot of joy, I guess I could say. <laughs> uh, very interesting to think about and stuff. And that kind of leads me to my solution, if I can go into it, Ariel. Yeah, that was a nice segue. Go for it. So my solution today is kind of a little bit more simple, more of a lifestyle article, but it's called Unleashing the Power of Joyless. And this solution really stood out to me because I was just looking at my own kind of joy list. It's actually my list of things I love, but um, it's like the same premise of a joy list. I started creating it last year when I just like wanted a place to dump down like everything I love Mm -hmm. and some of them are small things, some of them are like bigger ideas, but it really went in line with this. And I was just looking at it recently too, because I was like, I kind of want to put this list, like make it a visual, like some kind of board with a whole bunch of like stuff on it. So that sounds cute. It sounds very uplifting. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like a vision board kind of thing, but for my joy, gratitude. But anyways, it turns out there's actually a lot of power behind doing this. As this article says, so I'll get into it. In the quest to break away from life's monotony, many people like me have discovered the transforming concept of a pleasure list. The joy list is based on positive psychology principles, which promotes happiness and emotional well-being. And according to licensed professional counselor Alyssa Scolari, it acts as a beacon guiding people to consciously discover and develop moments, activities, and connections that bring them joy. And making a joy list is really a personal discovery. 
You can begin this journey with writing out your small pleasures, such as your favorite music, treasured books, or spontaneous dances, and then work your way up to larger experiences and allowing the list to flow until it creates a very vivid image of unique pleasures. So yeah, and the creation of the joy list is only the beginning. The true magic occurs when it is brought to life. You can schedule these moments into routines, making joy a non-negotiable component of your days, weeks, and months. Keep that joy list close, especially during difficult times. And Scolari points out that joy list can be a personalized roadmap for integrating more fulfilling experiences into daily lives. Oh, this is nice. It is kind of like a vision board, but for things that yeah. you already have instead of – because I think of vision boarding um, as – you know, trying to manifest what you want. But if you also just look at what you already have, then you can identify and appreciate everything that already makes you happy. So that's definitely something that I might have to try. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a good twist on something we already know. I think in the past on Optimus Daily, we've really advocated for like vision boards and such I did my first vision board because of our team mm -hmm. <laughs> at some point in the past but yeah this is like a good twist on that kind of like working with what you already have so using these joy lists in addition to your daily to-do list will really smoothly include joy into your days um, Ingrid Fatel Lee who is the author of Joyful describes it as a reminder that joy is a right not something to be acquired by combining joy and productivity, one demonstrates that happiness deserves a major role in the daily story. And I think that is so true and such a good reminder that it's just something, you know, we have to work on for sure, but it can be done. Yeah, I like that she says that joy is a right and not something to be acquired because I often find myself like feeling guilty if I uh, if I would just wake up happy <laughs> and I haven't yeah. done anything yet. And I'm like, oh, I, I haven't earned being mm -hmm. happy yet. But you know, we should, we should value that we wake up happy. Yeah. You know, if we're, if we're privileged enough to have that experience yeah, um, and we don't actually have to like, have to grind all the time to, to feel totally. guiltless about our joy. So that's kind of a nice way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, totally. I feel like in the Western world, for sure, like a lot of happiness is supposed to be like equated to your productivity, which obviously like isn't true. But I know on some days where I feel like I didn't really like do as much as I should have for one reason or another, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be happy because like, you know, I didn't do anything. I don't deserve it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be happy. But you know, that's not true <laughs> at all. You deserve to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can also consider approaching Joyless from a seasonal perspective. This article kind of talks about the delights of each like physical season, you know, winter, spring, fall, whatever. You can kind of point out like sipping hot cocoa in the winter, enjoying a vibrant garden in the spring, or the sunshine, as we've talked about a lot, Ariel, recently. Mm -hmm. But I think they kind of go hand in hand with like the seasons of your life as well, your Joyless, because sometimes when I find myself longing for the future, I have to remember the joys of where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think all my life, like, and I think a lot of people struggle with this as well. You know, like once I get this, I'll be happy. Or like once I'm doing this, I'll be happy. So mm -hmm. I think really focusing on the seasons of your life too is important as well. In terms of the physical environment, Fatali urges people to bring joy into your physical environment, resulting in a continuing experience. And it's more about just like activities you do to bring you joy. It's about making the relationship with joy a daily requirement. So 
And more than just a collection of activities, joyless cause a significant transformation in how people perceive themselves and their surroundings. Scolari emphasizes, it's about changing the relationship with oneself and the world around us. It's about recognizing that joy is not a luxury, but a necessity for mental health and well-being. I think that's totally true as well. And it kind of goes with like what I always like to say about these small, like quote unquote, like smaller solutions we share in Loptons Daily and the, you know, like lifestyle oriented ones. Mm -hmm. Even the smallest solutions that are just like working on ourselves, like make all the difference for the world because at the end of the day, it starts with us. So yeah, I really like this. This is like gratitude list gets together with um with vision board and they create like this beautiful baby. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's like a live thing as this article really urges. It's not just something of the past. It's it's a live document mm-hmm. that's really evolving with your seasons of life. It's a self-reflection practice and an ode to uncovering new sources of joy and a call to consciously enjoy your life. And they're really just like a gratitude companion Mm -hmm. and they keep you grounded in the present moment and just really accentuates the pleasure of the transitory moments as I was kind of talking about the seasons of your life. So I think this is really great. I think I urge everybody to create a joy list on maybe if you can't do it on a daily basis quite yet, like at least maybe try like once a week. I know times get really busy, but I think it's really important to make it, you know, as this article says, a beloved resident of your heart. It just takes a couple seconds to jot down something in your notes uh, on your phone. So yeah, even yeah, my um, love list, joy list is just in my phone notes, and it's not like particularly like ordered by anything. It's just like a long list of things. But I like the way <laughs> that this article framed um, different ways you can do it. You know, like doing it with your daily to do list. Um, something that I've done like with my gratitude, which kind of crosses over is like in my daily journaling, I always end with a couple of things I'm grateful for. And honestly, I will admit I've been slacking lately in the gratitude front. Um, <laughs> just because like, I feel like I haven't been journaling as much lately, I've been trying to get back into it and stuff. But I think like when I do journal, and even like if I'm writing in my journal about like how horrible of a day I had or something, if I end it with gratitude, and these joy lists, which is kind of like the same thing and stuff, like I really do feel so much better and it totally changes your outlook on life. Wow. Thank you, Carissa, for sharing this solution. Yeah. You say that it's small, but it is really impactful at like the personal level. So totally. sometimes those can be the biggest solutions for yeah, us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I hope <laughs> listeners got some good advice for creating your joy list. Ariel, maybe you got some good tips too. (laughs) Mm -hmm, I did. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think we got a pretty good range of solutions today. We went worldly, global, historical, and then we went like straight into the personal day-to-day of our ordinary lives. Totally. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. We did capture a good range. And we also captured a really good range with our other solutions this week on Mm -hmm. Optimus Daily. Some of those other articles include Kenyan artists transform discarded flip-flops into vibrant sculptures. That one was so cool. I highly recommend checking it out. Yeah. (laughs) And there's some really nice images with that as well. Yeah. Drinking gold nano crystal elixir shows promise in MS and Parkinson's trials. Mother Nature's skincare secrets, five research-backed ingredients for radiant skin. Always good to have a skincare one. Yeah. And transforming healthcare through the All of Us initiative. What else do we have on this week? We have research reveals that ADHD may have given us an evolutionary edge. That is so interesting. Hmm. 
The Dominican Republic reforest a fifth of the country in just 10 years, a story of resilience. Really cool. Former Japanese American detention site becomes a national park, another historical moment kind of being righted, so very nice. And guess what? Women need less physical activity than men for the same longevity boost. Yay. <laughs> I know, good news for us, Ariel. So. Yeah. Uh, if you want to start your day off right, make sure to subscribe to our free daily newsletter to get our solutions straight to your inbox. We also have more on our social channels. You can find us at The Optimist Daily on all of our platforms, including Threads and Pinterest. The only different one is on X, previously known as Twitter. On there, we are known as Ode to Optimism. We are a small team of optimists working hard to bring you positive news. If you want to support our mission of putting optimism out into the world, click on the link in the show notes to find out how. Support doesn't always have to be financial, even just recommending our podcast to a friend, leaving a positive review on Apple or Spotify, or sharing the solution to your socials would be a big help. Well, I guess that's it. Another really good roundup this week, Ariel. I hope you enjoy your weekend and I hope that you get some sunshine. Um, And yeah, I guess that hope extends to all of our listeners as well. Definitely. Yeah, I hope everybody has a sunshiny weekend or at least an optimistic weekend with whatever you end up doing. So, all right, we'll see you again next week. All right, bye. (laughs) Bye.